this morning I have pleasure to introduce our speaker, which you may know. If you don't, I don't know how. He's involved in just about everything in this church. <laughs> he served for a very, very long time, and uh, it's a pleasure to have him speaking this morning, uh, and I know he has an incredible word for us. So let's welcome Randy. Thank you, Anthony. I'm not used to watching that one. So as I, as I start my message this morning, I'm going to spend just a minute on uh, um, explaining the difference in simplified terms to you between the concepts of guilt condemnation, and conviction. And I'll come back to the concept later in my message, but the Webster's Dictionary defines guilt as the state of one who has committed an offense, especially consciously, feelings of deserving blame for offenses committed or omitted, and synonyms for guilt are remorse, self-reproach, or shame. So an example of somebody feeling guilty for something is, I feel guilty because I refuse to teach Sunday school. Joe is always looking for Sunday school teachers, so he paid me for that ad. Guilt is usually a short-term or temporary motivation toward an action or a task. It doesn't usually bring long-term behavioral change or an increase in long-term motivation. And attempting to motivate other people by guilt is a form of manipulation. Second subject is condemnation. Condemnation is a judging someone unfit or something unfit for use or consumption. It's, it's oftentimes a sentence of doom. So that's like a negative value judgment or a pronouncement that we apply to ourselves based upon our own negative thoughts or actions. God only condemns those who refuse salvation and choose the path to hell for themselves. So condemnation is really a sentence or a judgment. But God only judges us for hell when we choose that path for ourselves because we can choose salvation. He gives us that opportunity. So examples of condemnation, which very commonly is in our own self-talk, is I'm no good for anything. Or God cannot use me in his service. Or he cannot love me or I'm not worthy of his love or I'm not worthy of his love because of what I have done or the sin that I've committed. These are all lies from the pit of hell. Don't listen to them and don't believe them. Most of us are much more condemning to ourselves in our own self-talk than anything that any other people say to us or try to put on us. 
Condemnation, as opposed to guilt, can be very motivating, but usually not in a healthy way. It doesn't come from the Holy Spirit of God, and we should not condemn ourselves because we are not finished yet. As long as we're breathing, God has an opportunity to keep working on us and in us. God tells us clearly in Romans 8, if we're committed to Jesus Christ, oops, I'm skipping, sorry. Here's Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. So he tells us clearly in Romans 8, if we're committed to Jesus, we are not condemned and we are not to condemn ourselves or our brothers and sisters. <clears throat> now the third part is conviction. Conviction is a strong persuasion or belief, the state of being convinced or very confident about a particular subject or issue. And the synonyms for conviction are certainty, confidence, and sureness. Conviction is generally a healthy state of being persuaded about a subject or a direction, often as a result of God pointing out a sin, an issue of shortcoming in our thinking, or in our perspective. When God brings conviction to us via the Holy Spirit, we can repent, be forgiven, and change our direction. We can think differently, we can take action based upon this conclusion of conviction. Dick and Anthony and I, as your church leaders, are agreed. Sermons preached here in our church are aimed at creating an opportunity for each of us to learn from God's inspired word and to listen to the Holy Spirit for how he wants to apply these messages to our lives and our hearts. We do not use guilt, manipulation, or condemnation. We ask that you each make a choice in your hearts to be open in your hearts to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Don't shy away from allowing his conviction to be motivating to you. If a particular message does not apply to your life right when it's preached, pray about it during the week in your quiet time. If God does not draw your attention to how that subject applies to your life, then it probably doesn't, and you should just let it go. No guilt, no condemnation, just spiritually healthy opportunities for self-reflection, obeying the Holy Spirit and God's conviction. Matthew 25, we're going to read 31 through 46. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food, 
I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothed you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. Oops. Was that okay? <laughs> then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it for to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. When Jesus spoke to the Jewish people and he used illustrations like this, he knew his hearers would automatically understand. He didn't have to explain the differences between sheep and goats because it was an agrarian society and they already understood that. But if you, like me, have never raised sheep or goats, then we need a little background on the characteristics of these animals so we can better understand Jesus' message. So I did a little research, and according to a um, newsletter that I found called the Illinois Livestock Trail, published by the University of Illinois Extension, sheep, cattle, and goats all tend to gather in flocks or herds. Some primary um, characteristics of sheep. Their primary form of protection is the ability to run from danger and to band together in large numbers for protection because they don't have a lot of ways to defend themselves. They tend to react very instinctively to situations um, and mostly based on their reactions are mostly based on the need to protect themselves and avoid danger and avoid predators. Contrary to popular opinion, sheep are not stupid. They rank just below the pig and on par with cattle in intelligence. Sheep are social animals. They trust and follow their shepherd. They know his voice because he feeds them and protects them. Sheep see in color. And they have poor depth perception but almost unlimited peripheral vision, up to 320 degrees. They can protect themselves by being able to see widely. They also have excellent hearing, which is why they're easily um, put off by loud metal clanging sounds that scare them. In Matthew 25, Jesus talked about separating the sheep from the goats. In most areas of the world, sheep and goats wouldn't be mixed together in a flock. But according to one commentary that I read, the land surrounding Palestine in Jesus' day, oftentimes the sheep and the goats ran together in the same flock. 
and many of the breeds of sheep and goats looked alike in size, color, and shape. So they would be together, but they'd need to be separated in order for the goats to be milked and the sheep to be shorn. You know, shorn, take the wool off. <clears throat> so some natural characteristics of goats. This is according to a goat farmer whose blog I read, because again, I'm not familiar with goats. But goats can be capricious, impulsive, unpredictable, contrary, and even devious. They are experts in opening gates and squeezing through small gaps and fences. They hate to be confined and will work tirelessly to get free from situations that they deem inhibiting. They often bite even their owners and the males, which are called rams, headbutt everyone and everything. The, um, the goat farmer in this blog said, never turn your back on a ram. Always know where they are in the pen. Wherever you are, you have to know where they are because they will come up behind you and butt you. <laughs> Goats are usually independent and generally not good followers. They will sometimes eat really worthless things that hold no nutritional value, like metal objects and fence parts that sheep would never eat because they know there's no nutritional value. Goats are not inherently evil, but some of their traits could be spiritually deadly when they're found in us as Christians, like unpredictability, an independent streak, an attitude that says, I don't need other Christians, or value human relationships. A human with goat tendencies has trouble functioning in a group, sharing their gifts, and appreciating other people's gifts. Goats are rarely content with what they have. Probably not wishing to be led by a pastor or maybe even Christ. God designed us to be in relationship in faith and not to be lone wolves or lone goats. In human form, a person who acts like a goat would pay attention only to their own needs and desires or just their own family, probably too busy to reach out to others, help and care for others, and be unwilling to be inconvenienced to show mercy or kindness to somebody else. They have not developed a deep, committed relationship with God the Father, too busy checking off boxes to listen to the leading of the Holy Spirit, may be more motivated by guilt than by conviction and fit a measure of spirituality into their lives but only when it's convenient for them. On the other hand, any of us can be God's sheep. If you ask Jesus into your life or recommit yourself to him today and make him both Savior and Lord of everything, not just Savior, but Savior and Lord of everything, because he needs to be Lord of our lives, our family, our job, our wallet, and our checkbook. Or PayPal, Apple Pay, or Amazon Prime. All parts of our lives. Don't hold any area back from his lordship and approach him with humility. 
We need to make our important life decisions after seeking His direction in prayer. And when you do that, hold an open hand. And rather than just saying, God, please bless this direction that I'm choosing, instead pray, Lord, please show me what you want to do about this subject or this major decision and then wait for his answer. Get to know him in his word because his word is active and relevant to our lives and his word is the Bible. We'll be most fulfilled by serving Jesus with our whole hearts and regularly and consistently spending time reading the Bible and praying getting to know him and allowing him to change us, speak to us, convict us of sin, and persuade us of the right direction for our lives. So what did Jesus say in Matthew 25 that the sheep did? They fed the hungry, they gave a drink to the thirsty, they welcomed strangers with hospitality, provided clothes to the naked, visited those who were sick, and in prison. The American church has lost track of desiring to be sheep and ministering to others in need. We've applied our consumer attitudes and our shopping mentality to how we select a church. Which church has the best musical presentation? What church provides the best programs for my kids? Which pastor preaches the best sermons and makes his point in the shortest time period so I can check off the box of being at church. Where in God's word does it say that it's all about me? Yet that's the way many in our culture select a church, if they attend at all. This isn't commitment to Jesus, and it's not fulfilling the ministry that Jesus desires from his sheep. I've always been a fan of the National Football League and the game of football. And, you know, seems appropriate this time of year, but I watch it the whole season. And one of the reasons I like it is because it takes everyone playing their role on a football team to create success and enable that team to win. Football requires strategy and careful preparation. Every single position on the football field matters. One person makes a big mistake and the team loses or wins if they do you know if they work together and do everything right the church is really pretty similar everyone matters everyone can contribute in some way the gifts that they have been given church is a team sport it takes many different people with a wide variety of gifts given by the holy spirit to enable a church to reach its community to minister to those in need and share the gospel widely. So how should we approach the issue of choosing a church? And I know many of you, I'm preaching to the choir because you've chosen this church, but I think this is a broader important point to understand. So we pray and say, Father, where do you want me or me and my family to be planted? How can we use the gifts and talents that you've given to us, Lord, to help our brothers and sisters, and how and where can we serve others most effectively for you? Church is a team sport. I'm not supposed to do it by myself. Not if I'm one of his sheep. 
We all benefit from the opportunity to form relationships and share our gifts with each other, and we learn how to reach out to others, both individually and as a team, when we come to church. What did Jesus say to, in Matthew 25, verse 41, that the goats didn't do? They didn't feed the hungry, provide a drink to the thirsty, welcome strangers, provide clothes to the naked, or visit the sick and those in prison. Is there anything in this scripture about creating great music, preaching inspiring sermons, or planning good children's programming? Not that I read. Now, those are all good things for a church. But according to Matthew 25, if we want to be on the right side of Jesus with the other sheep in the end days, we need to teach and encourage each other how to become sheep and how to act like sheep, right? Caring for the needy among us confirms that we belong to Jesus. It demonstrates the transformation of the heart of a disciple of Jesus through the regeneration that comes from a true salvation experience and a grateful heart for that. Let's read Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Fruit is God's purview. Does a vineyard owner make grapes? Do they? No. He plants vines and God makes the grapes grow on the vines. Now it helps to have the right combination of soil and fertilizer and water and sunshine, which is all part of God's plan for making grapes. Similar, let's think of an apple orchard and an owner of an apple orchard. We could, of course, because I like gardening, we could go way down this road in this analogy, but I'm not going to for time constraints. But the orchard owner plants fruit trees. fertilizes them, prunes the trees, and pruning is to help them grow more strongly. The trees get the water they need, of course, plus the warmth and the sunshine, and they produce apples. Honestly, I'm amazed at how trees produce fruit, a really cool part of God's creative work, because we don't do it. In the case of the Galatian scripture, we are the vines or the fruit trees. We plant our roots deep in faith in Jesus, dig into his word and learn from him, and allow him to change us through our relationship, and then we naturally produce the fruit of the Spirit. None of us is perfect or fully perfected yet. Thus, I do not know a Christian brother or sister, and I know many of you really well, but none of us bears all the fruits of the Spirit fully. Just like the vineyard owner does not make grapes, we cannot manufacture the fruit of the Spirit. It's the long-term direct result of allowing Jesus to do his washing and sanctifying work in our lives. The Lord produces the fruit in us as we surrender to him. So if you know that you need more fruit, and who doesn't, it's not a bad prayer to ask God to produce more fruit in your life. But I would submit to you a better prayer is asking God for a closer relationship and an understanding of how to love him more fully and to learn how to surrender yourself more to his will. 
You better be careful what you pray for, though. Because I've asked for some of those prayers, and then, like, and then when he brings an answer, sometimes said, no, wait a minute, that's not what I asked for. And he said, yeah, you did. You just didn't expect me to answer this way. So if you don't mean it, well, I should say, just be careful how you ask. So how do we develop a deeper relationship with God in practical steps? Read your Bible daily and ask God to make it alive to you and to show you how to apply it to your life. Pray. I gotta admit to you that the greatest challenge in my life is prayer. I'm, I, okay, maybe not the greatest challenge, but the greatest discipline challenge about the Lord and my relationship with Him is my prayer time. I like to pray, but I have a tough time focusing and not letting all the distractions keep me from praying in a focused way. We can pray for our needs, but we should also pray for other people's needs. We should pray for Pastor Dick and Melody Beaumont and for our church's direction and for our government leaders and pray for your eyes to be opened to how you can provide help, hospitality, and time to those in need especially Christians, but also others in our community who are sick, needy, or in prison. And the prison part really throws me off, frankly. I think we should also pray to ask God to show us the Holy Spirit gifts that he's given to each of us and how we can use those gifts to play our role on the church team. Can you guys come back? Please. So, <clears throat> do you really believe that Jesus told us the truth about the end times or the last days and how he's going to separate sheep from goats? If you do, we need to be serious about taking as many people with us to heaven as possible. So, we need to reach out. We need to share the love of Jesus with our friends, with our co-workers, with our family members who do not know him yet and build relationships and then ask God to bring people into our lives who are ready and hungry to hear about him. And be watchful for the opportunities to share the joy and peace that you found in him. And if you don't have joy and peace, you need to ask him to show you that. Because how do you share what you don't have? But I know that he can give it to you if you ask. We need to live our faith both at work and at home. Do not be a hypocrite. In my opinion, few things impede children from growing up to follow Jesus more than a father or a mother being a giant hypocrite. Saying one thing at church and living completely differently when they get home. So if you need to live your faith honestly before your spouse and your family to be able to bring your family with you to heaven, which is where we want them to go. So we need to be serious with God and be a sheep and not a goat. If you can honestly say in your heart, I have a few goat qualities, and probably all of us do, we need to ask him to change our mind and our heart and our direction to be more like one of his sheep. 
The fruit will become evident to you as God influences your thoughts and your feelings and your spirit as you dig deeper into relationship with him. So we're going to pray. And as we do, I'm going to ask you to do business with God. And I want to encourage you, if something that I've mentioned today touches your heart, let's talk about a willingness to surrender to God, holding nothing back, and do it in a place of humility. Surrender your time, your family, your wallet, your gifts, and your talents. And if one or two of those areas particularly is trouble for you, spend your time there. Allow God to shape your personality, avoiding guilt and condemnation, but allowing him to show you the places of conviction of sin and crummy attitudes and a consumer mentality about church. Ask him to show you where you fit on his team and how you can contribute here at New Covenant. Don't look for a position, look for ways to serve. So Bill and Joanne are going to play music for us. Let's take just a couple of minutes and if he's put his finger on an area as I've been speaking, deal with him on that area, please. I want to take you 
that you don't leave us to ourselves. and for his wife and their service to us. For your great grace in our lives, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. If you need prayer, Anthony and I will stay. You can come up and ask for prayer. If you need prayer for something specific, feel free.